Good morning. Welcome to Alpine Church. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Mark. I serve as the pastor here, um, and I'm excited to be sharing with you guys today this series that we've been going through. We've been going through uh, the book of First Peter, and we're calling this series Culture Wars. Now, the reason we're calling it that is because um, God has commanded us through his word. He's given us commands on how we're meant to live our lives, right? And the world really tends to be pretty oppositional to that. The world tends to teach a lot of things that are contrary to God's word. So a lot of times, God's word is at war with the culture. And so that's why we're calling this uh, series Culture Wars. Now, um, as Christians, we're called to put the Bible and what it says above everything else, above even our own opinions, okay? And in fact, if you guys noticed when you came in on our welcome table, we have a poster that has our core values. One of our core values on there is that we look to God and his word in all that we do. And this is especially true when we're talking about families, which we're going to talk a lot about today, okay? Because we're living in a in a culture that really is at war with the family. I want to share a few statistics with you that are um, pretty alarming, if you ask me. In the U.S., uh, people getting married for the first time, they have a 50% chance of getting divorced. 50%. In 2020, about 25% of all children in the U.S. were being raised in single-parent households. And in 2017... Married couple families accounted for less than half of all U.S. households. I hope those statistics frighten you as much as they frighten me. You know, our, our culture is, is really, it's completely at war with the family, and we can see that. But as Christians, we're called to live a different way. We're called to be holy. You know, God tells us all the time in his word, you know, be holy. What does that, what does that mean? The word holy, it means to be set apart. So we're meant to be set apart from the world. Now, we live in this world, but we are not meant to be of this world, okay? So putting God's word first above what we think, it's not always easy. Um, it's, and some of what we're told in 1 Peter is no exception, okay? But what I want to start off with, we're going to be going through chapter 3 today. We're in week 3 um, and so we're in chapter 3, but I want to start off going through verses 14 and 15 so that we have this kind of basis as we dig into some of the other things that we get in today. It says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. Okay, so we should, we should really know what God's commanding us in his word to do. And so that's why this series today, as we're going through 1 Peter, is really important. It's important to understand uh, some of these things. And my prayer is that as we're reading and, and teaching some of this stuff today, that it isn't offensive to any of you who would consider yourselves believers. Uh, but it may be. And if it is, I would say that that is a challenge to you uh, to question who you're choosing to follow, if you're choosing to follow your way or God's way. Okay, today's culture war that we're going to discuss 
is misinformation on the family, okay? So misinformation, I would just say these are, these are lies that the world tells us, okay? Let's look at some of the, the different ones that the culture tells us, and we're going to compare it to what the Bible tells us. The first one we're going to look at is a, our culture says, I'm the boss of me, right? I'm in charge of my life. I'm going to live it the way I want to live it. Um, and that's, that's a prevailing thing in our culture today. What the Bible says is to submit to authority. Now, last week in chapter 2, we talked a lot about submitting to government authority, to human authority, okay? And our culture struggles with this concept of submission. And it's because the world teaches it's about, about me. It's about what I want, what I think. My opinions matter more than anything else. And we all struggle with this way of thinking. I've struggled with this way of thinking um, before I became a Christian pretty badly. And I even struggle with it after becoming a Christian. You know, even, even when I read things in the Bible now, there are some things that are hard, right? There are some things that I'm like, I don't know. That's, that's a hard thing to live out. It's a lot easier to just follow my own ways, my own opinions. But we are all under the authority of someone, whether we like it or not. And that authority actually begins with God, okay? Now, I think that we are extremely fortunate to live where we do in the country that we do. Because Peter was writing to people in his time who they had to submit to the emperor, the emperor of Rome, okay? And the emperor, it, his, his word went. Whatever he said was, was law, okay? We're fortunate in our country because our government leaders are under the authority of a constitution. So I think while we might disagree with the way things go down sometimes, um, we are far more fortunate, I think, than we realize at times. So today, we're going to be talking about a different kind of authority. We're going to be talking about uh, family, okay? We're going to be talking about family leadership, specifically spiritual leadership. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 3, Peter says, wives, in the same way, this is in the same way that he was talking about in verse 2, about submitting to authority. He says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what it means to submit. Okay, the word Submission means to voluntarily arrange yourself under another. That means it's not about who is superior or inferior, but it's simply an arrangement to bring order to family life. So rather than seeking autonomy from her husband, a wife should seek to, to, um, to be a team player okay, in support of his leadership. So this is about, this is about operating as a team. Right? When, a, when a husband and a wife come together, what the Bible says is they become one. And so they need to operate that way. And leadership simply is meant to bring order. It's not meant to make people less than each other. Um, with our fallen nature, our, our sin nature that we live with, without leadership, without order, there's chaos. There's simply chaos. We're just going to be at odds with each other. And so God's, God's designed the family structure a specific way. Okay? And he's, he's talked about it numerous times throughout the Bible, about where the leadership is in the family. Clear back in Genesis, 
We read in chapter 3, verse 16. Then he said to the woman, I will, sh I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Okay? And again, if we look in Ephesians chapter 5, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, so the family design was created by God. It was created clear back at the beginning in Genesis like we saw. And men are called to be leaders in the home. I want to share with you, I'm glad Pastor Brian's here today because he and Tracy uh, put a quick video together. And as I know them quite a bit, I can tell that, that Tracy is a lot like my wife, um, who really wants to take the lead in a lot of things. And, and she, yeah, yep, she's admitting to it. Um, but this is something that since I've become a Christian, you know, we've kind of had to learn how to operate in this way. And, and so Brian and Tracy are going to share a little bit of how, about how this operates in their marriage helpful to talk about this in our own home in our own marriage because you're a strong capable woman and yet when we talked about this verse with our kids they were surprised to hear that you're with Peter on this that you recognize that I'm the spiritual leader in the home how does that work out yeah I think by what we saw from the excerpt from the article this idea of voluntarily putting yourself under someone I really view that the role in the home, God's design, his structure throughout all of creation, he has a reason and a purpose for everything. So even in the home, even though your role as a spiritual leader is very important, it's a God-given role, I feel like that's present scripturally, that doesn't mean that me as your wife means I don't have any role to play or that I'm not an equal partner in creating a healthy environment to raise our kids. So I feel like I come to this Rather than looking at the misinformation piece, the culture would say submission is bad and it's all about putting women under the thumb of men, mm -hmm. that I come to our marriage with my own understanding of who I am in Christ, that I have my own spiritual giftings and value that God has given me. So I'm coming alongside you in marriage, bringing my strengths and abilities to match with yours and that together we're stronger and healthier because of it. So when it comes to the family, I want to be a presence in the home that I'm coming alongside Brian as a team player, setting him up for success as he's leading and has different responsibilities than I do. But I'm doing it out of my love and reverence for Christ and being called to live in peace and to submit and to be honoring to God in the way that I live and the way that I act. Yeah, so I love how Tracy says that. It's about, you know, we have different responsibilities, right? It's not one person is better than another. One person's lording over another. It's, it's about having roles. So men are called to be the leaders in the home. Now, another, another thing that Peter addressed um, as we read through that was, what if your husband isn't a believer, wives? Are you still supposed to submit to him? Well, what Peter's saying is yes. And the reason he's saying that is you're meant to be the example to him. You're meant to be that example that hopefully will draw him to Christ. And really, that, that's, that's a, res, a repeated theme throughout 1 Peter, is this idea of, you know, maybe it doesn't seem just, you know, the way that we're 
treated sometimes, but we're, we're meant to be examples of Christ. Because the most important thing that we can do here on this earth is to point people to him. And so we're called, we have a higher calling. And that's, that's what a lot of 1 Peter is about. Okay, so the second uh, piece, piece of misinformation that we want to talk about here is that the world and our culture seems to teach that beauty is skin deep. Okay, but the Bible, the Bible says that beauty comes from within. We live in a culture that is obsessed with outward appearance. I think there's this destructive obsession with objectifying people, and specifically, I think, objectifying women. You know, you look at magazines and TV shows, movies, uh, it, it's just, it's, it's prevalent all throughout it. And I, it, this takes, this takes humanity away from people is what it does. This objectification, I believe, is the primary cause of the pornography epidemic that we have. It's something that's been so destructive in our society, breaking up marriages, uh, just destroying the way that people see each other. And, you know, it's not even just people, it's not even just Christians that think this. This is starting to, to have an effect on, on everybody. People who don't even have any kind of faith that tells them that they should, you know, practice uh, sexual morality. People who don't have any faith are even recognizing the destructive nature of pornography. Now, Peter says, in, starting in verse 3, he says, Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Now, physical beauty, you know, in, in this world that we're living in, in the bodies that we're living in, that's temporary. That's a temporary thing. You know, we're, we as Christians, we're called to live for eternity. And so what is he saying here? What, what is something that's, that's unfading? The unfading beauty comes from within, right? So let's look at a few more verses here that share this thought about not putting so much focus on our, on our outward appearance. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says, And I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing, and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Proverbs 11.22, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Now, God isn't telling us that we shouldn't, you know, try to look nice. In fact, you guys should be grateful that I actually put clothes on today and didn't wear my bathrobe. <laughs> but what he's saying is that we shouldn't be so focused on it. I mean, how much time are we spending on our outward appearance? If, it, if it's taking up a large majority of our day, maybe we should rethink our priorities a little bit. But no, there's nothing wrong with, with trying to look nice, okay? Now, the next piece of misinformation I want to look at, it's similar to the first one, um, but this is that our culture is starting to say that patriarchy is evil. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says that godly men exist. And here is how men can be godly. Okay? He says in verse 7, 
In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. See, many people think that male leadership is just a way to keep women down. It's, it's to make them less than and to make men feel more important, right? Like we're, we're worth more. And the, the sad thing is that this kind of has been the case a lot of times throughout history, right? We've seen the mistreatment of women. Um, and that's, that's the corruption of what the Bible teaches. That's men taking what the Bible says and twisting it, taking it out of context, okay? And that's done with not just this. That's done all throughout the Bible with different things, okay? But male leadership has nothing to do with dominance. It has to do with different roles like we were talking about before. And the thing is when men bow to the authority of God, then they're able to lead in a godly way, okay? Here's a couple more verses on how men are meant to lead their wives. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Moving on to 28, it says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Okay, this is the type of leadership that Jesus taught. It's called servant leadership, okay? It's not lording over. It, it's not lording over those people that you're a leader of. It's actually serving those people. Okay, and one more verse. Hopefully we can get that back up on the screen here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So when men put God first, and they accept his authority, their leadership, it's going to be, it's going to be selfless and sacrificial. It's going to be leading in a way that your wife is going to want to follow. Another thing um, that culture is trying to tell us today that opposes the Bible is that men and women are the same. Get to that. So our culture says men and women are the same, exactly the same. There's no difference between them. Okay? What does the Bible say? The Bible says that men and women are equal. See, this is another one of those corruptions of biblical truth. Okay, what, what Peter says in, in verse 7, she may be weaker than you. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Okay? So in an effort to prove that men and women are equal before God, I think because of the way that men have, were corrupting that idea, you know, the pendulum kind of swung to the other side. Where now they've decided, well, there's absolutely no difference between men and women. This is a huge cultural battle right now. Most of you have probably seen this. Um, there's a movement saying that there's absolutely no difference between male and female. In fact, they say you can, you can pick what you want to be, <laughs> right? It's taught, we're taught that it's all about how you feel. But the Bible says that God created man and woman. And back when he created 
all of creation, and he finished with creating mankind. He created man, and he created woman. And he said it's good. So it's, it's good that we have men and women. There's very clear differences, and it's a good thing. Now the last thing the, of, of misinformation that our culture is sharing <clears throat> is that Christians are divided. What the Bible says, Christians unite. Peter says in verse 8, he says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. I'm pretty sure we can all think of how huge division is in our culture today. Especially, we look at politics, you know, the way people are reacting to all the different events going on around us. I mean, people are being really divisive about it. You've got people who will no longer be friends with others. You've got families who will no longer visit with each other. I mean, this is, this is the way that the culture is operating. And the church should be operating differently, right? But that hasn't always been the case. We've had some divisions that, sh that shouldn't have been there. But division in the church is not always a bad thing either. I want to be clear about that. Not all division is bad because, you know, there are times to debate over things and there are times to divide over things. Now, there are times to divide, and those are when essential doctrine is no longer shared, okay? When things like the deity of Christ, um, salvation through grace alone, or the Bible being divine revelation, if those aren't shared beliefs, then that's, that's probably a time to divide. But there are so many non-essentials that we tend to focus on in the, in, in the church culture uh, that shouldn't divide us, okay? Things like forms of baptism, um, organization of church govern governance, the way that we do worship services, um, or, or the nature of spiritual gifts in the modern day. These are things that we can debate over and have differences of, of opinion, but we shouldn't divide over. And, and honestly, that's, that's how the church operates, is we might have different denominations, different churches having different beliefs in these non-essential areas, but the, but the world seems to be focused on those and thinking that those are dividing us when they're really not. Those things haven't divided the, the real Christian church. And the reason for that is because we're united in one thing. We're united in Christ. Because what, what the Christian church, what Christ's church knows is that he is Lord of all of it, that we need him, that we all are fallen and lost without him, that none of us can save ourselves, none of us can be righteous enough to be in eternity with God. And so Christ, in his love for us, in his love for his church, like we talked about in those verses, he came and he paid that debt that none of us could, and he grants his righteousness to us when we put our faith in him, and let him be the Lord of our life. And so I like that we're closing with that piece of misinformation because if you haven't made that decision yet today about making Christ the Lord of your life, I think it's going to be really important to do that sooner rather than later. Because what we know is that no one knows the time 
of Jesus' return. No one knows when this is all going to end here. And you have the opportunity to live in eternity with God and to not be, not be a slave to your sin nature anymore. And so if you'd like to make that decision or, or talk to somebody about that some more, you can come find me after, um, talk to somebody that you came with, come find a leader after, and we'd like to talk about that some more with you. Um, or get on our webpage there, request a mentor, um, join a small group. There's, there's a lot of opportunities to discuss some of this stuff further.